You know, as we enter uh, Advent season, um, I've uh, got a four-part series that I'm going to entitle With Us, With Us. And uh, this morning I want to begin that, and the the title is The the Gift of Others. And so when we have uh, the gift of others, uh, Jesus brings us into that community. And I think it's huge that that going on from that, we're going to have the gift of movement, the gift of seeking, and also the gift of presence. And um, I know that uh, this Advent season is a, is a time of year when we look forward and to celebrating Christ's birth. And you know, God's intention all along has been for people to be in a right relationship with God, but also with others. That was his intention all along. Within the incarnation movement, when, when um, God became flesh and dwelt among us, Uh, God was making a way for humanity, for us, to unite around the Savior and the person of Jesus Christ. And I I say that because the the word incarnation literally means the act of assuming flesh. So the Son of God voluntarily assumed a human body and nature. You know, Don Skinner, he put it this way, he said, God did not send Christ to us. God came to us in Christ. And what we need to understand is that that Jesus is fully God, but he is also fully man. And and we're going to see that in our passage today. The theologian described the incarnation in these words. He said, God must be able to come over to our side without leaving his own side. And I I think that's a good way of explaining that. But let's see how God uh, came over to our side. And let me say at the beginning of this that, you know, the Christmas narrative, the the story about Christmas is, is in danger of being relegated to just this sweet story that we read just one time a year. Some of us have, have heard it so much that we're no longer moved by the magnitude of the majesty of God. We've heard this story over and over for many years and and we're not moved by, by God becoming man. I mean, we must never forget that this is holy history. This is about God and that we should be, we should approach it with awe and astonishment. I mean, the astronaut James Irwin, he he traveled to the moon and he experienced things that you and I will probably never see in our life. But yet he never got over the the, the point, the, the crux of Christmas when he said this. He said, there's something more important than man walking on the moon. And that is God walking on the earth. I mean, just as the birth of Jesus drew in Mary and Joseph, oh, their lives were changed forever. The shepherds, the birth of Jesus drew the shepherds in. It it drew the the magi in, the, the wise men from the east and the various onlookers together on that silent night. I want to tell you that Jesus is drawing us back together in authentic and loving community. 
I mean, how many of us would say today, all the relationships in my life are right and good and leave me with a deep sense of joy. All the relationships in our life. I mean, how many would be honest and say, you know what, I have some relationships that feel distant, that maybe aren't as close as I feel like they could be. Maybe at home, maybe at church, maybe in in the workplace. But this morning, my desire is to share with you how the birth of Jesus makes a difference in our relationships and in our sense of community, okay? How his birth makes a difference in our relationships and our sense of community. You see, God is revealed to us in perfect community with himself. We call it the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a term for that, a theological term. It's called perichoresis. The word peri coming from our word perimeter, okay? And, and core coming from choreography. So it's the God who dances around. Sometimes he's the Father, sometimes he's the Son, sometimes he's the Spirit. But he's the God that is, is in movement, in community with those three the Godhead all being one, but they are three distinct persons of the Trinity. And, and, and I think this is huge because when we talk about that, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son are in perfect community and they're completely satisfied with each other. We read about this all through Scripture. And I'm gonna show you some Scriptures today. And what I, what I want you to understand is that God created us to join him in this community. To be, for him to be the center of our relationships. Yes, our relationship with him, but also in our relationship with each other. See, humanity being made in the image of God has been given a wonderful gift, the gift of others. I mean, practically, this means that we do best, we function best, we do best when we are in an encouraging in a community with God and with one another. Through Jesus Christ, people can be part of the community with God and with others, which is God's intention from the very beginning. He wanted to be in community with us. He created us for that purpose. I want to begin our, our scripture in, in Luke 1, uh, chapter 1 of, of, of the Gospel of Luke. And it's a, a little bit of a lengthy passage, but uh, bear with me. It'll, it'll bear fruit here in a little bit. But um, we're going to read verse 26 down through verse 45. And uh, I know it's lengthy, but we'll just follow along in your scripture and we'll see what God's word says here. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and following. Now in the sixth month, the angel 
Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, said to her the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 39. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. Father, your word is life. Your, your word gives us hope. Your word gives us peace. Father, thank you for the gift of others. I pray that you would be with those in this body who are grieving. I pray, Father, for those uh, who are in this body that are, are, uh, are ill. I pray, Father, that you would uh, touch their bodies. I pray, Father, that you would restore them to health. Father, we know that you are victorious in all things. And God, we ask because we know that you are more than able. Father, we love you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use your word for the purpose for which you sent it. And we're going to give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it interesting that just after the angel visited Mary, that she, 
she gave her and gave her that incredible news that she was going to bear the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that she felt compelled to go and visit her aunt and her uncle, Elizabeth and Zachariah. Here you have two pregnant women, two miracle mothers. One is old, been married for many years, childless and barren. The other is young, having never been married and still a virgin. One of these ladies was in her 70s probably and the other one was in her early teens. And interestingly enough, they are relatives. They have both been chosen by God to be the human instruments for the birth of two very, very unusual men. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet who who ever lived up to his time, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the, 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 the Son of Man and the Savior of the world. I mean, most likely, Mary needed comfort and encouragement from someone else. I mean, the angel of the Lord came and told her she was going to bear a child. She's never been with a man, and so she, she's like, how can this be? Nothing is impossible with God. She had a, a, something come up, something very strange, so she was seeking out some spiritual encouragement. She was also going through and experiencing a miraculous pregnancy, but she needed to talk to someone who was also going through what she was going through. This is key because many times when we find ourselves in a odd situation, maybe something we don't feel like we're equipped to handle, maybe the, the, the bottom falls out, we go to somebody who would know what we're going through. We identify with people who have similar things going on in their life because we know maybe they are a few steps ahead of us. Maybe they can offer us some insight, some kind of spiritual encouragement. But you see, what I'm getting at is Mary needed community. After she heard this announcement from the angel, she needed community and she needed the gift of others. See, we need to grasp that community, community was God's idea from the very beginning. You go all the way back to the creation account you go back to Genesis chapter two, and, and you know it says there in verse 16 and, and excuse me, in verse 18 and following, it says, "Then the Lord God said, "It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle, the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. For Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. If we go back to where God's design of this took place, we back up to chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the, the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. I can't make that any plainer. God does a real good job with his word. But we have the Trinity here. We have it in community. Let us make God, let us make man, excuse me, in our image. And and so you have this from the very beginning, the the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And, And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect community together. And they're completely satisfied with each other. I think that's huge. I mean, the Father loves and enjoys the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves and enjoys the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit loves and enjoys the Father and the Son. You see, God created us as humanity to join Him in this community. He's inviting us, he created us and invited us into that community. And, and, and out of this perspective of community, we as humanity were created so that we could be in community with God and with each other. And really that's his purpose in that. And when I, when I read this, I understand that the Lone Ranger image does not fit into God's plan for his people. We're all together in community. And as I read in in chapter two of Genesis, you know, what words are used to describe relationship? I mean, you have there, uh, when when he's creating a woman and and, and he says, I will make a helper for him. uh, Someone to come alongside and to live life together. So you have relationship, you have a helper we help each other. You also, in verse 23, have intimacy. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. These are my people. And then you also have unity. The two become one flesh. Man and woman become one flesh. So you have helper, you have intimacy, you have unity. This is the relationship that God has given us. Now there's a big problem. The big dilemma comes in chapter three. Sin. Sin enters the world. We call it the fall of of man. Sin was and is a community breaker. Sin was and is a community breaker. Think about this. Our sin... Your sin and my sin, that all affects the community around us. We think in our individualistic minds, we think that our sin does not affect anyone else. 
But what I'm telling you today is your sin and my sin affects our community. Sin was and is a community breaker. It's not just my sin, it's our sin that breaks community. See, sin wrecked the relationship between God and Adam and Eve. It wrecked the relationship and sin wrecks the relationships that we have between each other, between people. See, our selfishness is sin. Wanting to do what we want to do, regardless of what God's word says, is sin. Our greed, our dependence on money is sin. Our willingness to watch things that we shouldn't watch is sin. Our desire to control everything towards our advantage is sin. Our desire to go our own way and not follow God is sin. I want to say our idolatry is sin. Anything that we put before God becomes an idol. See, sin can be defined as wanting to fill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. But sin wrecks our relationship with God It wrecks our relationship with each other. See, sin damages and destroys community between us and God, between us and each other. But thank God, he doesn't leave us where he finds us. See, God has a grand solution. God sent his son to save people and to restore community. I love that. In Luke 1, verse 31, 31 through 33 here, it says, and behold, you will conceive, he's talking to Mary, and you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Hallelujah. God is making a way right here for us. And I think this is huge because God who is relational, God is not a policeman in the sky waiting to zap you when you do wrong. God is a relational God. He desires us. He desires, he loves us so much and and he created a space where he and humanity could dwell together and once again be authentic in community. But you see that authentic community begins through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You will never find authentic community apart from God and you will never find authentic community apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In this passage, Mary and Elizabeth show us two unique ways to practice authentic community with others. First one is this. This comes towards application. 
When a need arises, take the initiative and go share it with somebody else. Go share it with others. When a need arises in your life, take the initiative and go share it with somebody. Stop suffering in silence. That's not community. That's trying to be a lone ranger. When things arise, when, when a, a, a need arise, take the initiative and go share it with others. Look at that section there where in verse 39 and, and 40, uh, where it says that it says, now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. She just heard the most, the most earth-shattering news she's ever heard in her entire life. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to process that. So she got up and she went to her aunt's house who was pregnant also. When the need arose, she took the initiative and she went to share it with someone else. You know, in our church, when we hear about the birth of a new baby, in our membership, we take the initiative and we, we start a meal train so that we can provide food for the family. It's our way of pursuing others by reaching out and taking the initiative. You know, when we, when we receive news that there's been a death in our church family, we pursue others by going to the family and see how we can help, how we can love on them. When a need arises, we take the initiative and share it with others. I'm not talking about being a gossip. I'm talking about going and meeting a need in someone else's life. I'm talking about pursuing one another the way God pursues us. Because many times we think, you know what, I, I don't really know them that well. They might think it's awkward if I call them. They won't think it's awkward. They're going through something. They need community. They need the gift of others. See, God relentlessly pursues his children and, and captures their hearts. I mean, the Bible is full of amazing examples of God pursuing his people. You think about Abraham. All the things that Abraham went through. You think about Moses. God calling him through that burning bush and, and preparing him to be the deliverer of his people. You think about Gideon and how he equipped him and, and David and even Esther. For such a time as this, God pursuing his people even to the point of death on a cross. See, he relentlessly pursues his children and, and captures their hearts. And scripture sets the tone for how all of our relationships in life should look. They should be full of love and grace and forgiveness and hard work. Relationships are hard. It takes hard work. And you see, the Bible is, is, has one overarching, beautiful story of God pursuing his people, Israel, whom he set apart, but also the Gentiles who he grafted in. See, from the beginning, even before Eve took that forbidden bite, God was pursuing a relationship with his created beings. He was pursuing them. He delighted in spending time with them. And even when they chose sin, even when 
they chose sin over him, he pursued them with grace. See, God's immediate response after sin was entered into the world was to make a sacrifice. And he took the lives of two creatures and he made skins to cover Adam and Eve with. And from that day on, God continued to call people to himself. Whenever there was apostasy in Israel, whenever people were backsliding, they were turning away from him, he saved a remnant to continue to pursue. And God is always, always, always after the hearts of his people. He desires that fellowship. He desires that community with you. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he pursued people. I mean, he didn't pursue politics, not like the zealots wanted him to. He didn't, he didn't pursue power like Satan tempted him to. He was, he was all about pursuing people. He had compassion on the people that he encountered. He loved them with enthusiasm that was contagious. People followed him and he met them right where they were. He sat with them. He ate with them. He laughed with them. He cried with them. He grieved with them. He gave them hope. And the Bible shows us that what it's like to, to be pursued by an amazing God who is relentless in his love for us. I mean, his mercies are new every morning. Folks, I can't tell you how much God loves you, but he pursues us relentlessly. He offers grace upon grace upon grace, even when we don't deserve it. He loves us sacrificially. We see that as he gave his life for us, as his lifeblood was poured out for your sin and mine. And he is present always. He is right here with us in the good times, in the bad times. He never leaves us. He is for us. See, we can't expect each other to be perfect like God. However, we are called as Christians to live godly lives and to be imitators of Christ. We're to love like Jesus loves. And this is possible because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And gives us what we need to live beyond our own selfish desires each and every day. So when a need arises, we take the initiative, we go share it with others. Secondly, when someone shares a need, listen. Listen. And bring spiritual encouragement. You know, in verse 41 of chapter one of Luke, it says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And now has it happened to me and how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Oh, Elizabeth greets and she blesses Mary with spiritual encouragement. 
Folks, we all need spiritual encouragement. We all need that spiritual encouragement. And if if we're going to provide spiritual encouragement, we better get really good at listening. We need to get really good at listening because we need to listen without (laughs) trying to simultaneously come up with our response. I mean, when we listen to someone while we're also thinking about what we're going to say, we focus less on that person and we focus more on ourselves. And likewise, when we're listened to intently, when somebody is focused on listening to what we're saying, without worrying about the feedback that that we're going to receive, we truly feel like we've been heard. And as a result, we genuinely feel cared for. Somebody cares for me because they listened to me. They heard what I had to say. Yes, listening to another gives that person the the gift of being heard. And folks, that is a very powerful and beautiful gift indeed, to be heard. You know, throughout my experience, I've discovered that spiritually encouraging someone is much simpler much quieter than I ever realized. It doesn't require me to have all the answers. It simply requires my presence and my attentiveness. Of course, this is completely countercultural and counterintuitive. Sometimes when we talk to someone about a need in our life, they feel like they have to fix it. We may just want to be heard. Maybe that's why it's so powerful if we say less and listen more, especially in our noisy and boisterous culture. See, I've been able to apply my lessons in listening and quietly encouraging conversations with friends. So now when I meet a brother who needs spiritual encouragement, I may not remain completely silent, but I do continue to practice saying less, especially if I've not prayed about it. So how should the church be a space where God and people dwell together? I asked the question this morning, are there any relationships in your life that need to be repaired so that you can experience deeper levels of transformation and unity. See, community with God matters. That matters to God. Community matters to God. Everyone flourishes when we make time for our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. God really, really, really loves people. And we need to value people like God does. Why do we write people off when they disappoint us or don't meet our expectations? Why is it that we tend to write people off? We don't want anything to do with them. 
See, if that describes any kind of relationship that you're involved with, pray that God would give us the grace to forgive others and to cherish the gift that he's given us of others. If we do that, it's going to take obedience. It's going to take humility. It's going to take grace, a lot of extra grace. It's also going to take us not being selfish. We will always do best in community with God and with his people. See, this Christmas, as always, it's good to reflect on the fact that, you know, God loved the world, loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. See, in addition to this, Jesus has made it possible for harmonious community here as God intends it to be a reality that you and I can experience. See, an authentic relationship with God and with others is ours through the grace that's made possible by Jesus Christ. Jesus brings the gift of others. You know, 700 years before Jesus came on the scene, the prophet Isaiah, he used the symbolic name, Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, 14, to describe the coming Messiah. And Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. He's not distant. He's not so far away. He's here with us. There is now a space where God and humanity can dwell together. And God invites us through Jesus to be part of his community. We've been given the gift of others. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come back up and lead us again in a, in a couple more songs. But this morning, I want to invite you to enter a relationship with God and his people. If you have never acknowledged Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, I encourage you to do that today. Invite him to come into your heart. God's word says that if you do that, he will. Invite him to come in. He will. This morning, the invitation is to come for salvation. I would love to introduce you to Jesus. You know, sin wrecks our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Come with a repentant heart. Ask for forgiveness. Come for repentance. Get involved with God and his people. Community matters to God. And we will always do best in community with God and with his people. Come this morning to unite with this church family. See, God's word, when he speaks his word to us, 
it requires a response. When the angel Gabriel talked to Mary, her response was, may it be as you have said the word of the Lord to me. You know, it requires a response. But you know what? Your response has not been scripted. Your response is up to you. Choosing to not respond is a response. So I ask you this morning, how will you respond? Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I ask in the the moments that remain that you would move us from where we are to where you want us to be.